Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Welcome to the Soundtrack Your Life podcast. My name is Ryan Pack. This is our first episode. Um, this is a podcast dedicated to movie soundtracks. Uh, sometimes to the movies that they are related to, but mostly a conversation about music, the bands on soundtracks, and hopefully some personal stories to go along with it. Today, I am talking to my bandmate, Damon Gross. He's also the frontman of the Tiki music band, the Poo Poo Platters. And it was funny when I was talking to Damon about doing this podcast, he actually told me something I didn't know, and that he makes playlists of movie soundtracks that were never officially released or ones that have gone out of print. Um, so, Damon, what are some of those movies that you've uh, created playlists for? Good evening, Ryan. Yes, glad you asked, actually. And uh, hello out there to everybody. Yeah, uh, I have been um, for a while. Uh, once I got into Apple Music, I've been creating these playlists. Some of them have, have uh, garnered several uh, follows or downloads or whatever they're doing on uh on Apple Music, I'm not sure, but yeah, the the idea really is to put together um, collections of music that from films or television that are difficult to find, or yes, as you mentioned, out of print. I have been getting alerted when somebody likes my playlist. I'm just trying to scroll back through my phone and check it out right now, actually. So it tells me your playlist was added. Valley Girl soundtrack is very popular these days. Right, that uh, just got re-released digitally. I'm, I, I, I kind of wonder if people are looking for the Valley Girl uh, remake soundtrack and they're mistakenly downloading my, um, or adding my Valley Girl soundtrack from the early 80s. But uh, had you heard of that? There's a remake? Yeah, I, I didn't know if that had been released yet. I know they're I, making one. Oh, yeah. Uh, I believe it's streaming now. Um, Alicia Silverstone is the mom. That's pretty much all I know about it. So they released that right around the same time that they digitally released the original with Nicolas Cage. Seems like it. I mean, if people are trying to find the Alicia Silverstone one, maybe they're <laughs> maybe they'll be turned on to some cool music from the 80s instead. Yeah, yeah. I haven't I have. I'm not sure. I, I watched the trailer. Um, I'm not sure if they use a lot of the same music from from the original film, but uh, I haven't really looked into it yet. Well, that's cool. And I believe you also have done one for uh, Revenge of the Nerds. That is true. That is true. Yeah, that that's a tough one. I don't think that it's been available as a as a soundtrack purchase, possibly since the uh, since since the film was released in the mid '80s. At the, at the very least, I'll say this, I may be wrong about that, but at the very least, I've been making these soundtracks if they were unavailable on Apple Music or unavailable on Spotify. So these, 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 some of these soundtracks may be in print, just not, uh, just not streamable. 
So today you and I are going to talk about a soundtrack that's not streamable, at least on Spotify, and that is the soundtrack for the 1995 movie Kids, uh, which I will admit I still haven't seen to this day. Two interesting uh, comments there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, knowing well, I, and I say that because I know um, you as uh, as a music fan, and I know that um, it's to me it's a. I mean that's that 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 movie is. Uh, I mean the soundtrack is really central to the movie. I guess that's why you wanted to talk about it. Well, I um, thought we were going to talk about it because of the principal artist on the soundtrack. Who we're both big fans of. Oh yeah, that would be Randall Poster. Well, I was. I, well, oh, 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 oh! I see. You're. Uh, you're. I was talking about to, Lou. You're talking about Lou Barlow, not the person that put the soundtrack together. Gotcha. Right. We'll, we'll get to Randall in a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm jumping the gun on that. Well, what's interesting, you bring up Randall because um, as I've been researching the soundtrack uh, to talk about it. it says that Lou Barlow is like the director of music for the soundtrack. But as you point out, Randall Poster is the music supervisor for the soundtrack. And uh, for listeners, if you're not sure who Randall Poster is, he is probably one of the most famous uh, music supervisors now because everyone relates him with uh, Wes Anderson's movies because he has been the soundtrack supervisor for, I believe all of them, at least starting with Rushmore. I don't know if he was brought on for Bottle Rocket, but um, so Randall Poster is pretty much synonymous with Wes Anderson at this point. Yeah, uh, I was. Uh, yeah, I found out about that recently. Yeah, I'm looking actually on Apple Music now. Um, once you said that the soundtrack was unavailable on Spotify, I had to know like had I missed the opportunity to put this uh, soundtrack together on here, and um, I do see the that very familiar k-i-d-s cd cover as it was i believe i had the cd for this album and at one point i had the vinyl as well i picked up at a thrift store and uh, it's since um disappeared like so many other things oh i didn't even know it came out on vinyl uh yeah, I'm I'm really disappointed that I that I've misplaced it. I wonder if it might have been I uh a reissue, but it seemed that it was it was released that the vinyl copy that I had had been released at the time. Oh yeah, I see a couple of songs soundtracks available on Apple Music, but um a couple of songs are grayed out. So, um, so you might have some work after we're done recording to put that playlist so. together. Yeah, yeah, I think a couple of other people have done so, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll do my own. You know, so as we were saying, Lou Barlow is the principal, I guess, artist on the soundtrack. He has he has Sebado doing a song. He has Folk Implosion doing the majority of the work, and then also a song with Deluxe Folk Implosion, which is. Full Complosion with Exhibito drummer Bob Fay and his little side project called Deluxe. There's also a couple uh, Daniel Johnston songs and um, a song by Slint, which was previously released since Slint just did one album, and that's where anything licensed by Slint is from, from, from the album Spiderland. 
yeah, looking at this for the first time in a while, I'm noticing there's all, all of these songs like I didn't really think of as like full songs like from from the folk implosion. So uh, if what's your history like with the with the soundtrack if you haven't seen them uh, haven't seen the film? You know, I probably, you know, because I didn't see the movie, obviously the songs that are kind of more instrumental mood pieces, they probably, you know, I'm evaluating them just as pieces of music. Um, I don't have that emotional connection of a, of a specific scene in a movie like, I, I'm, like I'm supposed to. So I think the soundtrack for me kind of was a little underwhelming because I wanted, you know, a bunch of folk implosion like full songs with vocals. But I think there's only like two real songs, you know, or what I would consider as a person who hasn't seen the movie, there's only two songs that sound like, you know, what I was paying for when I bought the soundtrack. Um, not that I'm trying to like review it as like, as a, as, as a music critic, but as a fan, you know, buying that soundtrack at the time, I wanted more from the folk implosion than I got. Oh yeah, uh, what what songs are you referring to then? What got you to what got you into it? Um, I think just being a Sebado fan and knowing that you know Lou was uh, all over the soundtrack with Folk Implosion. Like I, I was familiar with the Folk Implosion. You know, it wasn't like now where we have iTunes or you know many or you can go to the Amazon website and check out clips of songs. It was kind of like well. And I saw Deluxe Folk Implosion, Folk Implosion, and Sepido, and I was like, well, you know, it seemed like I was buying a, a Lou Barlow compilation, and it ended up being more of a film soundtrack, which it actually is. Yeah, I see like how that would be confusing or an enticing buy to uh, the uninitiated, certainly. Had you heard the, the uh, natural one before you before you picked up the soundtrack? I'm pretty sure I bought it because I had heard Natural One and I just thought I was going to get a whole soundtrack full of songs like Natural One. Um, I ended up buying the CD single for Natural One because it had a B-side on it. I believe the song is called Taxi Ride. And that song was... And that's not on the soundtrack. And it's also underwhelming because it's also an <laughs> instrumental piece. Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like this, this one, the soundtrack was a big, it, it, it was a big deal to me. I'm not sure if I had seen the movie yet when I, when I got the soundtrack, but it's definitely this, this thing that was important at the time, like that it was the only way for me, I think that I could get my hands on anything by, by slint at the time and that what's the what's the album spiderland is what is it yeah spiderland yeah right spiderland i had only read about spy slint and spiderland and you know this is pre-internet and all of those things and so i thought like when i when i i had heard of it and so that was definitely definitely the biggest selling point for me at the time i i do remember a lot of um hype uh, leading up to the release of the movie. And I think that finding out that uh, Lou Barlow and those guys were involved with the soundtrack was just a, was just a bonus for me. Yeah, and it's a soundtrack that did, I think, a lot better than expectations, just like the movie. Um, 
the movie I think was a one million dollar budget film, and it ended up doing twenty million, which you know for a for a small art house film that's definitely not for the masses that's you know a really good turnout. It launched the careers of Rosario Dawson and and chloe i I always feel like I'm pronouncing her last name incorrectly Chloe Savigny. Oh, is that how you say it? I always I always say Savagini. I I add like pro, I'm sure at least at least one extra syllable to to pronouncing your name. I hope one of us are right. I'm sure I'm sure people know who we're talking about. But, sure, the you know, it, it girl, the it yeah, girl, the it girl, 1995. You know, and she's carved out a nice career for herself. Rosario Dawson has obviously done very well for herself. Um, Harmony Corinne, who wrote the movie, he's done. A handful of movies after this, he did Gummo, which was the follow-up to Kids, and then recently he did uh, Spring Breakers and The Beach Bum, and I think Matthew McConaughey is the star of The Beach Bum. Now that one, that one, I haven't seen yet. Of course, I saw Spring Breakers. I shouldn't say of course, but I mean, I've I've loved uh, I've followed Harmony Corinne's career ever since. I haven't seen Beach Bum, but. Yeah, you know, it's a it's an odd one. Um, I almost felt like I didn't know at the time. Well, I guess I didn't know you back then. But for me, 1995, Sonic Youth, skateboarding, indie rock, drinking 40s. It was like kids was like um, telling my story. It was this like thing that started to happen, and I thought like I can't believe this is happening like like how do they know how we really are and it turns out i mean because it was i mean harmony corinne he was a young guy i mean he was a a a piece of that i suppose i mean i don't actually know the history of that guy i just know that he was young (laughs) and i felt like just at the time it seemed like this this thing that was um, more authentic than anything else i had ever seen Sure. Or, you know, for like a 19-year-old in that, at that time. Right. So for, for me, I think, it, I think the movie had an NC-17 rating, or, it, or at least it was being talked about. Like, I don't know if it's going to get R. They may keep it at NC-17. And I think because of that, I was like, this is going to be a really hard sell to my Korean immigrant parents to take me to see this movie. I guess I can imagine. And uh, since I was, at the time, was not old enough to drive, like, it wasn't like something me and my friends could just go sneak out and watch, you know, we couldn't be like, hey, we're going to go watch The Lion King and then sneak into kids. So let's just, just jump back to the soundtrack for a second. So let's talk about Natural One. So this is Lou Barlow's biggest hit by far, top 40 pop hit. I believe it got up to number 29, you know, kind of launched that soundtrack. I guess it kind of caught fire along with the movie. So there's a couple things that I found out that I, I didn't know before. One is that he didn't write it with John Davis. He wrote it with Wally Gaggle. Not sure who that is. So Wally Gaggle is like an engineer-producer. I believe he mixed or engineered Harmacy as well. This would be <laughs> Lou Barlow's follow-up to doing the kid soundtrack with Sebado's Harmacy. Um, I believe Folk Implosion also did an album. I think that's that's there to be surprised. I think Wally Gaggle is kind of like the producer engineer who's kind of in Folk Implosion, but not officially a member. Yeah, uh, I'm not familiar with them. I got the kids soundtrack and I went backwards from there. I was lucky enough to stumble upon uh, a good copy of 
take a look inside the folk implosion, which might disappoint people that dug natural one since it was just like drums and guitar. Wally Gaggle though. Don't know. Yeah. I, I think from the kids soundtrack through one part lullaby, which was actually the last album, last folk implosion album that John Davis is on. He was kind of, kind of the right hand man of the band, I guess. So he actually is the one that co-wrote Natural One with Lou Barlow, and it wasn't John Davis. I wonder if he's the, uh, I don't know, it's like, did he produce it? Is it like, is that where like the, the, like the electronic danciness of it comes from, do you think? Um, I think he definitely programmed the drums, because I think he has a lot of credits with other folk implosion stuff afterwards. You know, it says he was a programmer slash engineer mixer um so i think he probably is was probably a big help for them going in that direction for the kids soundtrack and through one part lullaby (laughs) cool and then i was looking at what wally gaggle has been up to since and uh, he's had a pretty good career oh he got involved doing i guess engineering or writing for writing music and tv shows so he actually has some credits with Hannah Montana and oh, I think iCarly as well. Sweet. He's done Disney. some. Pro- he got that sweet Disney green. Yeah, he he did. He had a boy band phase. He did some stuff for Backstreet Boys and Nick Lachey, and that that was right before the uh, the Disney shows. Doing pretty good. Doing yeah, pretty good. And for a while, he was, I guess, engineering iTunes original sessions. That was about 10 years ago. Oh, yeah, man. That's, uh, I think I've heard, I don't know. Do you ever check those out? From what I remember, weren't they just like the songs and then like interviews about the songs? Oh, I thought they did like, it was like a peel session or something. Is that what? Live, live oh, this is, this is called iTunes originals. Is that know. the live tracks? Or is that the one know. with the interviews? No idea. I never listened to. I I saw it sometimes uh, when when iTunes existed. I would see like it would recommend that I listen to one of those, and I just always thought that they were like in studio live performances or something. Well, since I know that you're a big Vampire Weekend fan, did you do the? Did you listen to the 2010 Vampire Weekend iTunes originals? I will tell you that you read my mind, and that is exactly what was recommended that I listen to. No. He's done a lot for Best Coast. I'm not too familiar. I'm not sure if you're too familiar with them. Uh, I, yeah, uh, I know the name. You know, that girl, Bethany. Bethany Constant, Constantino, I believe was her name. I don't know who that is. Oh, she's, she's the, the front, front woman, front person of Best Coast. Um, so he's done some stuff for them. So he's still he's still actively working. They're like a duo, right? Duo. Yeah, yeah. It's her and uh, what's the other guy? What's the guy's name? I feel like they're like Beach House or Best Coast. I don't know the difference. Very different band na- band <laughs> sounds. Very similar band names. Oh yeah. Best Coast is uh, Bethany and this guy Bob Bruno. I think that's the guy who you're thinking of, who actually used to be John Bryan's assistant. So do you think that if kids were released in 2020 instead of 1995, do you think it would have generated as much outrage or do you think it's, it was just kind of a sign of the times? I think if kids came out now, it would be 
straight to video or straight to streaming or whatever. Nobody would bat an eye. I just think that there was like more of a, I think that a lot of it, like it would come and go without it, without anybody noticing. But, you know, I think that would, they, but everybody in it, like you pointed out, I mean, their, their, their stars are well known. I mean, at at this point, I mean, it launched a lot of careers. It's true. Um, But I think the first time, and I don't know which came first, but Chloe Sevigny, is uh she's walking on the mark jacobs uh grunge show in the uh sonic youth video for sugar cane that's the first time i remember seeing her but it might have happened it might have come out later that was for um uh dirty that was gotta be like and that was a juggernaut of a album for those guys i think dirty Um, was before kids right it was yeah yeah that was like but yeah, yeah, you're right. It was, wasn't it? Yeah, Washing Machine. Came yeah, Washing out. Machine was 1995, I believe. Right, right. So you saw, yeah, I think that that might have been, I don't know, for all I know, that was her first, her first like on screen role or something. But I know, I knew like everybody, all the, all my, you know, everybody was getting a pixie cut after that. So switching gears, do you, do you ever remember Folk Implosion going on tour? Ooh, no. Now, I've seen both John Davis and Lou Barlow separately, but no, I don't think that... that I have no recollection of a tour. Because what I'm wondering is just how Lou Barlow did nothing to capitalize on this big hit he had. Like, they didn't immediately go on tour. I mean, I guess they released another album, which I assume was probably already done. Yeah. Maybe like, oh, hey, oh, yeah. And by the way, we have this. Here you go. But, you know, like, I feel like... Get him on the line, Ryan. Let's, let's ask him. I bet you he'd do the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we did, we did hang out with him in that backyard in San Clemente that one time. It's possible. He might. I mean, he seems like a decent dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think he would, I think he would go for it. I was really excited when he played Natural One in that backyard. Yes, yes, that was that was nice. I was thinking though, like, yeah, how I heard him play Natural One prior to that, and I was thinking, did they did they at least like do like a hundred and twenty minutes like performance or something like that? I know back in the day they might have. I know Sabato has definitely done it. Okay, I can think. I don't remember. So what they do? I don't remember that. I think Sebado did Rebound and, and Shit Soup. <laughs> and then there was a different 120 Those minutes. The yeah, there was a different 120 <laughs> minutes where it was Lou Barlow co-hosting with Bob Mould. Oh. <laughs> you don't like Bob Mould? I love Bob no, Mould. No, that's just hilarious. Um, they co-hosted together and they played like acoustically with each other. Oh, no, man. I've, I tried like, Bob Mould. He was on KFI. You, you know that AM station is super right wing now. But Bob Mould was in an interview on KFI in the early 90s, and I called in to try to talk to him. Uh, but by the time I got through, they had switched to talking about Heidi Fleiss. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I was still on the line, and they patched me through, and they're like, Damon and Hellendale, welcome to KFI, Damon. I'm like, uh... <laughs> Where's Bob Mould? Where's Bob Mould? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a fan. I like Sugar, you know. Oh, yeah, Copper I, Blue's great. 
Yeah, that was a really that was really good. I mean, that's another band like he that guy's legendary, and I try to go back in on his stuff and like what were people hearing, and um, I mean, I I can see how like Sebado, I think like Zen Arcade was definitely like oh I, yeah I can hear I can hear it now like I can like backtrack and like hear like Sebado in Zen Arcade before Sebado existed. If you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You can see young Lou Barlow just rocking out to Zen Arcade and probably uh, the Minutemen um, double nickels on the dime as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, you can, yeah, it's definitely, definitely in there. But yeah, I just don't think that Lou Barlow did anything with Full Complosion that would be considered, like, capitalizing on having a top 40 hit. Yeah. Because I know Sub Pop put a ton of money into Harmacy trying to kind of capitalize on lou barlow's newfound stardom is that a fact or speculation um, <laughs> i don't want to get in trouble with lou barlow and and sub pop i mean they did give him they did give him money to make like a real music video for ocean yes yes and willing to wait had that really like fancy video oh yeah i do recall that was like an, a very adult contemporary i think that's what they were going for though yeah, I think it was like let's try to get this on like top forty, top forty radio. This will this will slot really nice nicely next to the Goo Goo Dolls. But you know what? Like honestly, it would have. And like I've always thought that Sebado and Lou Barlow just are so underrated next to their contemporaries. And I mean, in this case, you could call like like the Goo Goo Dolls or something their contemporaries. Like, why is it that the Goo Goo Dolls got all the all the airplay, or even like in the in the late '90s, especially with all of the you know minor alt rock hits, like you know Closing Time and stuff like that? I could definitely see stuff off um, Harmacy on the radio against that. At least for me, like I moved. I moved away from them and by by the time probably you know af- I after Harmacy you know I moved away from Sebado and in a way like um the folk impl- implosion soundtrack helped me with that actually um like you know it was the late 90s everybody all of a sudden was um you know getting more into like electronic music and dance music um in at least like in where I lived in Southern California, you know, going to uh, warehouse parties instead of um, garages, you know, raves instead of like ragers. And um, I think that like that the kids soundtrack and those folk implosion songs were like the only music that I had that, that I owned at least that was even close to anything that sounded like that. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because I think in 97, Danny Boyle followed up Train Spotting with A Life Less Ordinary. And I think yeah. that that's, that soundtrack, I feel like, is kind of a shift from, I think, sample heavy alt rock like Beck, because Beck's on that soundtrack. And I think, I think Folk Implosion kind of got wedged between Beck and this new genre of trip hop that was coming over to the states right and that's and i feel like that soundtrack kind of represents like that that changeover because you have like beck and the folk implosion and i think maybe the cardigans are on it and then you have like the sneaker pimps and like 
more like trip hop. Right. Yeah, there was definitely like a shift there. I mean, and there's like it's it just seems so like easy to to pinpoint. And I mean, maybe that is like a a a, a good signifier that soundtrack too. But I mean, that's what that's why you're here talking about these soundtracks, I guess. But yeah, a lot uh, of a lot of times they're like a snapshot of like what's going on in that year. Totally. Yeah. That. But that's the thing about the kids soundtrack, though. It's like. It kind of it wasn't. It's so it's odd because I think of the soundtrack so fondly, but when I look back, it's like there's nothing on it. Like you said, there's just like nothing there. You got a slint song, you've got a Sebado song, spoiled by the way, which is which is great, which is one of my favorite of that of that time for Lou Barlow off Sebado three, where everything just kind of just sounded like it was very home recorded sounding but like in like a tin can and just in this, it just had such an interesting tone to everything on like the second side of that album. And then you've got the Daniel Johnson song and I'm, I'm pretty sure other than Kurt Cobain's t-shirt, that was like my first um, exposure to Daniel Johnson was the kid soundtrack. And unfortunately I never got to see that guy, but these are definitely names that you heard a lot of uh, heard a lot of in like 95, 96 and then never to be heard from again, really. Well, I think Daniel Johnson kind of became a cult hero. Like every band that like plays now, you're like, Oh, who are your influences? They all say Daniel Johnston. You know, I think built a spill is coming out with a Daniel Johnston covers record. Um, Wilco released a album with Daniel Johnston where like, Jeff Tweedy and his sons back him up in the Wilco loft. So, um, and when I saw Neutral Milk Hotel play, um, they had Daniel Johnston open as a special guest. But, oh, you yeah. Know, but he was never, you know, he was never going to make it to the mainstream. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I mean, he is hugely influential. I would say that he is, to me, like, like again, and then like tracing it back from the kids soundtrack was which is probably like if folk implosion was a top 40 hit i mean the more people that just meant a lot of people potentially heard daniel johnson's first song on the soundtrack i think anyway but he's i feel like that that's like the beginning of indie rock in this way since it was just i guess it's a like considered by some outsider art i guess but to me it's um some dude recording songs that you know the way that they want to do it without any fancy equipment etc you know what i'm talking about can't even really play i mean and that and but it's not punk right something else entirely and so i think by the time you get to the first sebado being you know recorded on a cassette in the, the exact same way that daniel johnson was making music and then I, I, it's when you, you really start to like get this thing that they would at some point start referring to as indie rock. Right. And if, and if you fast forward to Neutral Milk Hotel, who is probably one of the biggest indie rock like success stories without, you know, selling out, you know, Jeff Mangum is probably, he probably doesn't do in the aeroplane over the sea if he doesn't hear Daniel Johnson's recordings where Daniel Johnson is completely just 
vulnerable and willing to sing about Casper the Ghost. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It makes you feel like you could do anything. So I'm guessing that Randall Poster probably had a hand in picking up some of these Daniel Johnson songs to fit on the soundtrack around these Lou Barlow, sometimes full songs, sometimes kind of instrumental noodling. Um, sure. I mean, I, maybe that's what happened. Like, maybe that's where it came from. I don't know. Somebody had to had to make that choice, and I don't think it was the director. I mean, <laughs> you know, was it like there's a character by the name of Casper in the film? Was was it like, oh, dude, there's a song by Daniel Johnson. Have you heard it? <laughs> You've heard of Casper the Friendly Ghost, you know, from uh, from the old cartoons, right? Well, anyway, he does this version. Uh, it, anyway, or was it, I mean, yeah, somebody had to pick it. Yeah, I'm, and I'm wondering when Wes Anderson came along, I wonder if it was, like, I don't think Wes Anderson was like, get me the soundtrack supervisor from kids. But I wonder if someone was like, Doubtful. I think Randall Poster would go well with what you want to do. Like there's this guy Randall. He's got he's got a soundtrack under his belt. I think he would work well with you, who who wants the soundtrack to be a big element of the film. And then I wonder if that's how that partnership kind of started. I wonder too. I had heard like I'm just assuming that the first time they worked together was Rushmore, and I had heard that. Also, I'm certainly a hugely influential soundtrack. At least a Vampire Weekend, I'm speculating. But I'm wondering, yeah, if that's the first time they worked together. I know that Wes Anderson had said that he wanted all Kinks an All Kinks soundtrack and they couldn't afford it. So maybe that's when it happened. Like, who can, who can find me some obscure uh, British invasion that will... That will uh, fit the film that I can afford. Right. And, you know, that's a element about soundtracks that, you know, I think us as consumers don't think about too often is budget, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Get me the get me the guy from kids. That was a low budget movie. They they know what they're doing over there. Yeah, I've worked briefly uh in music licensing and I would like they at the time it wasn't it didn't seem like that much money really. But I mean, if you wanted like big names, I mean, I was looking at people who were getting like the seeds or something for their, for their soundtrack, almost famous. But, you know, if you want like the who or the stones or the Beatles, obviously that's never going to happen, but, I mean, you're going to pay for it. You know, I, I read an interview with Kevin Smith about, I think they were talking about the Clerk soundtrack. And he was saying that, he, I guess there's a Fleetwood Mac cover on the soundtrack. The original Fleetwood Mac song would be very expensive to license. So the way they got around that is they had a band cover the song. It was cheaper to pay a band studio time and a, you know, and a few bills to have them re-record the song. He made a movie, Tusk, you know, sometime in the last 10 years. And he um, had the budget to actually license the Fleetwood Mac song, Tusk. And that was $250,000. Oh, good Lord. Would it be worth it? I would have just picked a different song. 
like or just had some else. band covered. Yeah, you could get an interesting cover of Tusk for much less. Like I could do a cover of Tusk that would be passable for much less than two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So I am confirming that Rushmore is the first Wes Anderson movie that uh, Randall Poster did. Remember, we were talking about a life less ordinary. Oh yeah, a little bit. He I, did that. I, he did that soundtrack. What? <laughs> yeah. Ah, I see. Oh, this is all starting to come together. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I always called it the lifeless ordinary is how I always thought I always thought the title of the movie was. Oh. <laughs> a lifeless ordinary? Yeah, a life less ordinary. Uh, yes, it's two three words, not two. I got I gotcha. And it, and before he even did Rushmore, he did the I Shot Andy Warhol soundtrack, which is also great. Mm. Another is great that... soundtrack for a movie I've never seen. Now, who's? Oh, I was going to ask you. Do you know who Andy Warhol is in that movie? Uh... I can't. I can't place it. I know Bowie's been Warhol, and I don't think it was in that. I think it was in Basquiat. Um, IMDb says it's Jared Harris. Oh, who's that? <laughs> what a what a non interesting um, Andy Warhol. Best Andy Warhol though. Crispin Glover, The Doors. I would say that Crispin Glover is the best anything, but um, the best Andy Warhol, I'm just going to give it to him for, for his uh, brief appearance in The Doors. Oh, funny. You, you really like that movie. That was one, like, I don't know how much I like the movie, but like... Or at least it's had an impact on you. It did, yeah, and that the soundtrack did. What's his name? Uh, Val Kilmer? Everybody mm-hmm. thought he was a cool dude at the time, you know? You wanted to be like... It was like right before um, right before River Phoenix came along, you know? And stole the, stole the thunder. It was before Brad Pitt, you know? You're like, oh, that dude is handsome. He's... he's I, I want to be like that guy. He was Batman. Oh, yeah. Was he? The third Batman. Or second oh, Batman yeah. in the third was movie. It? Second Batman, third movie. Uh, yeah okay so what was that one i know um forever batman forever with uh jim carrey i'm mixing batman forever and then the one with um clooney like they're the same movie same director oh is it yeah so those are the joel schumacher films oh okay so um which one has uh uma thurman in it that'd be batman and robin Okay, that's, that's the, a Clooney just, one. That's the Clooney one. Yeah, that's the Clooney one. Okay, I saw. I, I I was getting into that. It was on VH1 or Freeform or one of these, and I and it came on. I'm like, yeah, I was getting into it, but it looked really cheap. It yeah, that's really when they went cheap. full. They went full camp with that one. Yeah, they did. Okay, I wasn't sure that it was a one hundred percent intentional. I think it was intentional, but also a failure. What's on uh, the Batman and Robin soundtrack? Um, the, I'm much more familiar with Batman Forever. I know that the lead single from Batman and Robin was um, a Smashing Pumpkins song called "The End Is the Beginning Is the End." Is that a is that a, a soundtrack original or was that from a tr- from from another album? I believe it was made for the movie, but it definitely sounds like it's from like the adore sessions okay like when they started experimenting with electronics mm-hmm. so it has that kind of vibe okay. like uh maybe a little before like 1979 what what album's that that's melancholy so that's so 1979 is the album before so this okay. would be some recording session after that 
Uh, Double album. Okay. This is like um, after um, their keyboardist was life was cut short or something probably right? right and then they briefly kicked jimmy chamberlain out of the band yeah the drummer yeah. that's like that's not that you can't call yourself the smashing pumpkins after a certain point i'd say i think they went on calling themselves smashing pumpkins for far too long when it was clearly just the bi- the billy corgan project one of the frog brothers briefly replaced the filled in on keyboards for a while that's another one i know that like i think that daniel johnson was like uh, and i only know these things from watching the frog uh, not the frogs i would love if the frogs had a documentary but the daniel johnson documentary that he was like making appearances or like you know uh doing like camera bombs and what have you on uh mtv and things in the mid 80s but the frogs home recording stuff like it's at least as old or as in, as influential i'd say as the daniel johnson stuff their home recorded stuff it was i think it was jimmy flemian i'm not sure if i pronouncing his name i correctly i've never known but of the frogs who was snatched up briefly in the mid 90s by smashing pumpkins i think it might have been when they were on on Lollapalooza, is that possible? Right. Back when Billy Corgan was feuding with Stephen Malkmus. Yes, yes. I think this is like after, I think that actually, you know what? This has got to be, I think it goes like Nirvana or Kurt Cobain. He uh, got the frogs on Lollapalooza second stage and then he died and then Smashing Pumpkins went on tour with the Frogs, and then later used used them or asked them to join the band briefly, the Smashing Pumpkins. But I'd love to see if... Um, I don't think the Frogs ever landed on a film soundtrack uh are you familiar with the frogs at all i'm reading up on them now i i think i've probably heard some of their stuff because i have a bunch of like matador records compilations i know they were on matador for a little bit yeah um yeah their big matador release was uh, my daughter the broad yeah it's a really entertaining to some people and probably offensive to others (laughs) <laughs> I do know that uh, they are sampled on Beck's Where It's At. Right, right. Yes, famously, that was a good drum break, is uh, The Frogs from uh, their album, It's Only Right and Natural, featuring, I think, one of them in their youth, like a school picture on the cover, and they're wearing a um, pink, pink triangle lapel pin. Uh-huh. So, so if that gives you a little introduction into what they're all about, <laughs> apparently a big influence on Eddie Vedder as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm thinking like they had this little EP in the mid '90s. Maybe Eddie Vedder appeared on it, or he did a cover, or I don't remember. But I got it from Columbia House. I think I I still haven't paid for it. 
<laughs> it says that a um, Pearl Jam included their the Frogs cover of Rear View Mirror, the Pearl Jam song, on uh, as the B-side of, of one of their singles. And then when Pearl Jam released No Code, Eddie Vedder claims that some of the lyrics were taken from a note that Dennis had hidden Eddie Vedder's notebook. Interesting. I heard that uh, Eddie Vedder was back in town. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but like, who? It's like the last grunge dudes standing tour or something like that. It's like you got Eddie Vedder. Who else is who? Who else is left? I can't think of who would else who who would go on tour with Pearl Jam. Nobody's nobody survived grunge except Eddie Vedder. Eddie Vedder and I guess Dave Grohl. Ah, uh, yes, that's it. Of course, it's Dave Grohl. It's weird. Dave Grohl scored a soundtrack in like 1995 or 96. And it's not on any streaming service, but I have a copy of it at home. What are you talking about? What is that? Dave Grohl scored a movie called Touch. <laughs> it, was supposed to, it was supposed to be like the follow-up to like Get Shorty, like either the director or the writer. My sister worked at the label at the time, so she just got it for me for free because she knew I was all about the Nirvana Foo Fighters stuff at the time. Has it ever been released? Yeah, it was a real thing. Huh. But like they didn't, they didn't try to promote it at all. Like I remember going to the store like the week it came out, even though I already had it, and like it wasn't on sale. Like there was no music video for it. I don't think they tried to push anything in the radio. I think the movie bombs. That might have been part of it, but you would think like. You know, in 2020, if Dave Grohl scored a movie, no matter how bad it is, like a bunch of people would buy it just because Dave Grohl scored it. Yeah, weird. I've never heard of that movie. I mean, I can tell you about a bunch of soundtracks to movies that you've never heard of. <laughs> I'm actually surprised that Lou Barlow has not done more of that himself. Yeah, I wonder. Is he interested or what's what's uh, stopping him? Yeah, I don't know. You would assume with the success of kids that he would have at least been offered to do some more soundtrack work. Maybe he thought, you know, Sebado was really starting to take off or something. I don't know. I mean, they were, I mean, for a, for an indie band, I guess. I mean, I from from my perspective, they were huge. But in the grand scheme of things, I guess they were not <laughs> so uh, maybe it's like oh harmacy's going to be the one i'm going yeah. all in and then it's just like nope right but for as prolific as he is as a songwriter because he writes a ton of songs right like he has his solo stuff he has the sebado stuff he has folk implosion like it doesn't seem like it's for the lack of ability to create you know like why why can't he just do a couple film scores on the side it seems like it's completely uh, within his ability. Certainly, certainly. I would think so, yeah. Like, I don't know if it's just he enjoys playing live too much and that would require too much effort in the studio. I don't know, but I could have seen him going into a Trent Reznor sort of film scoring role after kids. Sure. If Trent Reznor can do it, then, then so could he. You know, it was good chatting about kids and all the different conversations that did came we do out that? that? Did we talk about kids at all? Briefly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so check it out if you can find it on VHS. I I just remember it v- being released to VHS. So if that's how you're watching your your films, Ryan, you should check it out on VHS. 
Well, Damon, let me ask you, if people want to find some of these soundtracks that are out of print that you've created playlists for, how can they find oh, you on Apple yeah, Music? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to my... Oh, here's my picture. You'll find me because my picture is like um, Marsha Brady's nerdy boyfriend who's, in, who's into science. That's my profile picture. I can't think of his name right now, but he's wearing a, a sweet cardigan and some, some uh, horn-rimmed glasses. You can find me at Damon B. Gross. I've got Heavy Metal, the film, complete soundtrack. I've got Go Ask Alice. That was a made-for-TV movie. Sick soundtrack. Oh, you, you got to check this out. It's There's it, Roger Nichols, um, who worked with Paul Williams, is on the soundtrack. Jefferson Airplane, The Beach Boys. Paul Williams is on there, too. Billy Preston. This is a really good soundtrack and a pretty entertaining movie. It's sort of like an after-school special. What else? This one's out of print, starring Michael J. Fox, Light of Day with Joan Jett. There's a lot of original music uh, in that that's unavailable. You're not going to find it in my soundtrack. Anyway, there's a bunch on there. Mostly, you know, 80s, 80s movies. Anyway, um, check it out. Very cool. And you can also find uh, Damon's Poo Poo Platters recordings on SoundCloud. And his old band Visitor's Q, they're on Spotify, right? Yes, sir. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.